Hi, this is Mark, and welcome to episode 23 of Nerdology. And my very special guest today is Mr. Eric Escamilla. Hey, Eric. Hey, Mark. How's it How going? How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Thank you so uh, much for coming back on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. It's uh, my pleasure to park myself on your couch yet again. <laughs> and for anyone who's uninitiated, uh, Eric is the producer, presenter of a couple of my favorite podcasts, uh, Doctor Who Mostly Harms Cutaway and Prognosis Negative. Uh, oh. Do you want to give a little plug while you're here? Oh, sure. But I mean, thank you. Words are too kind. But officially, it's just mostly harmless cutaway. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Doctor Who is just there for, for iTunes mm-hmm. uh, search reasons. But uh, I don't know. For some reason, for some reason, I don't like that moniker in front. No, no offense to, <laughs> to the words Doctor Who. It's just, I don't know. Maybe we're not worthy of that. But it's just mostly harmless cutaway. It, um. For those who haven't heard it, I to me it's just a silly thing that someone does that you know. Hopefully, it's hard to some categorize because like. you have lots of different shows within one show. You listen to one episode, then you listen to the next one. It could be a totally different experience. Absolutely, and I know that can be difficult. Um, and I know that's not everyone's cup of tea is to have something that is constantly changing. But uh, on on my end, making it it just. I guess it works best for me, and I guess it, it just makes it for me hosting it and, and doing it, it. It just keeps me interested to have that plate changing. Yeah, um, it keeps me interested listening as well. So, so I hope it works out for some people. Mm. Yeah, and, uh, and prognag, your other baby, prognosis negative. Yes, prognosis negative, which for the better part of this last year has been mo- more known for our James Bond commentaries. But fear not, those of you who are not, <laughs> I don't know who you are, but who are not into James Bond or the, the spy genre. But it, it's, it's called Shaken Not Stirred, our commentaries. But it's, it's really a bunch of chaps who love Doctor Who, who just happen to be talking about something that's not necessarily Doctor Who. But it's, it's definitely more of a Doctor Who discussion than it is a 007 discussion, but it's all there. There's lots of little nuggets of Doctor Who goodness thrown in there for good measure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, um, check those things out and sure. If the first thing you, you try on either of those feeds doesn't quite see you, please jump around. Cause yeah. as Mark said, you'll find all kinds of different things. It's worth the effort. I can tell you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and speaking of shaken, not stirred, if you are a fan or if you have checked it out, um, and especially if you're current with our, with our latest episodes, uh, you'll see we finally finished all, the, uh, all 23 canonical Bond films. But, of course, the train does not stop here. And this isn't really breaking news, but it would be news to anyone who hasn't heard the end of Shaking Out Stir 23. But the show must go on. And... Uh, we have to keep the, the ship going, the ship sailing, and uh, we're moving on to other frontiers. So uh, It's not just any old ship. Not just any old ship, no. Uh, we are definitely embarking on a, on a five-year mission. Well, hopefully it won't be five years. <laughs> but uh, we're definitely putting together now, uh, you know, working on and uh, embarking on a beam me up. I think 
that's the working title, which may be the official title. Nice. We're working on Beam Me Up, which is going to be same cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, myself, Steven, Kyle, and Josh, as we embark on all the Star Trek films and do our commentaries. Now, how we're all going to make it Doctor Who centric, I have no idea, but we'll do our best. And uh, I'm really, really looking forward to that. So stay tuned to the Prognag feed for that. So the reason uh, we had you on the show today is uh, we wanted to talk about a few of the, the movies that have been out over the summer and maybe have a little review. Um, one slight problem is that I haven't been to the cinema too much, uh, which could put a slight kibosh on the program. Uh, no, it's okay, though, because bearing that in mind, I'll try not, you know, I'll try to scale back the spoilers just, mm-hmm. you know, assuming that you might want to check out one of these movies mm-hmm. or so yourself. Maybe. So I did get to see The Great Gatsby, which we covered with uh, your namesake, Mr. Stadnik. Which, oh, uh, really? Yeah, I quite enjoyed. I actually saw that as well. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm one of the half a percent of people in this English-speaking world who actually never read The Great Gatsby. And I actually went into it not even knowing the premise mm-hmm. at all. And, uh, no, it actually worked out for me quite well. Yeah, I thought um, you did a really decent job of bringing it to the screen. Yeah, I, again, I can't judge it in that way, bring mm-hmm. it to the screen, but it certainly had me engaged, and me not knowing the story ahead of time, I actually went with it, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I think, I know I had this weird feeling coming out of it that I just, just, just like how fashion trends mm-hmm. tend to repeat and recycle themselves every couple decades, I feel like we're ripe for some 20s fashions to come in mm-hmm. to modern times again. Uh, I don't know. It so just... anyone who happens to be walking down your local street, they're likely to see you wearing some plus fours and a, a golfing T-shirt maybe? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> definitely in some spats. Oh, yeah. Like, definitely. We need photographs on Twitter. That'd be cool. So, but yeah, so, but... Go now, carry on. No, but yeah, but Gatsby was good, but that was you know just preceding our explosion of uh, blockbusters, mm. and blockbusters mostly. I, mean, I guess it's typical to be expected, mostly in the genre field, yeah, uh, and sci-fi and whatnot. And the daddy of all sci-fi blockbusters, in my opinion, had to be Star Trek Two Into Darkness. I, well, yes, personally, I agree with you, but I don't think everyone else feels that way i know pacific rim had a had a big uh presence in the cinema this this year but sure uh, um well i mean because i think for a lot of people actually iron man 3 was a big one mm-hmm. uh and it was kind of the spearhead of the summer season and because even though star trek has gone so much more mainstream since the first abrams film mm-hmm. um it's still a bit like Doctor Who. Well, it's hard for me to compare, especially when I don't see how Doctor Who is over there across the pond. Hmm. But though Star Trek is much more accepted in a mainstream way nowadays, it still hasn't fully shed like its old stigma from earlier times when when Star Trek was certainly more, you know, segregated to those people. Uh-huh. Um, you know, unlike Star Wars, for instance, which seem to cross over from its inception. So Star Trek still has some of that geek baggage, if you will, even mm-hmm. after the Abram, Abrams films. 
So you'd be wearing your Star Trek uniform underneath your regular clothes just so that people wouldn't <laughs> think you were weird. Well, if you go at midnight, you'll be in safe company for sure. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, what did you think so. of Into Darkness then? Into Darkness. Well, you, 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 as I said, I agree with you because you started starting with a big hitter because mm-hmm. while I didn't necessarily expect this at the beginning of the summer season, um, at least thus far, it turns out to be my favorite film of this summer grouping. Or I could also say, because I had certain expectations for certain of these summer films. Yeah, because I know you and, were a huge fan of the, the first Abrams Star Trek film. Oh, which means Absolutely. there's a massive, massive expectation from you Absolutely. as to what you thought of the new one. Absolutely. And of my different expectations for these different summer movies this year, Star Trek was the one that most kind of hit my expectation mm-hmm. or lived up to it. And, uh, I mean, it was great. It was, it was a rollicking good time. Um, and sometimes I talk to you know our friend Kyle mm-hmm. uh, about, or we spoke about it when the film was more recent because... I, I can't remember correctly. Uh, maybe he preferred two, the second, more than the first one. Uh-huh. I tend to skew more towards the first or the second, but I could be convinced either way. Um, I think I'm with you on that one. Um, I enjoyed it. I really liked it. Um, I think because I went with my wife to see it, and she's not really into Star Trek in a big way, and so she could kind of watch it without any of the kind of preceding baggage that might have been carried by nerds like me who've seen the original movies and I think the thing that for me I couldn't quite let go is one particular piece of casting um, which is Benedict Cumberbatch don't get me wrong I think he's a great actor I think he does a decent job in this but I just think it kind of maybe it's just a problem with me that I can't quite handle could be going to spoiler territory here so if you haven't seen it yet, you may want to switch off now. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't quite get my head around that someone playing Khan Union Singh is as white as a sheet and about as Indian as I am. I just couldn't quite grasp that. Maybe you okay. saw it differently. Well, uh, actually, um, I didn't actually see it differently than you, but I've actually said a lot about this, and I actually thought about this quite a lot when the film was uh, fresher because okay okay this will take a little while to cover <laughs> but um i mean see back to the relevant sci-fi party line where we talked about into darkness but i kind of uh-huh. covered it there and i hate to rehash it but <laughs> if i have any geek cred at all i feel like it's my duty to bring this up okay because Obviously, a lot of people, and I'm speaking more of people who were already invested to Star Trek to some degree mm-hmm. prior to the first uh, Abrams film. Yeah. So talking about the pre-existing Star Trek fan fandom, the original Abrams film caused a huge schism <laughs> among Trekkies and Trekkers mm-hmm. because there were those who were like, this is great. Like, we see what you're doing here with the time travel and the alternate uh, timeline yeah. and you're reinvigorating and yes these are new actors and but still like we understand and we see you know how it works uh and they're finding it and accepting that these are like the new adventures mm-hmm. of sort of the same crew but not really so respecting what went before but bringing it to a yes. new generation and giving it a fresh start and you know 
it sort of seems like half of Star Trek fandom went that way into accepting it, and the other half really had a difficult time, mm-hmm. and to this day have not reconciled that, and they don't really see it as an alternate timeline that spawned from the original, but more of a more of a um, a reboot, yeah, and more of a like rewriting history. Mm-hmm. And okay, that was already the existing schism because of the first Abrams film. I was one of those people who easily made peace with the whole thing yeah. back in 2009, and it was totally fine with me. But what you just brought up about the casting of Benedict Cumberbatch in mm-hmm. this really throws a, a fly in the ointment. Um, it wasn't enough to derail the film for me, no. but I still couldn't stop thinking about it. <laughs> Um, I know it's really it. annoying because I feel really be- petty for bringing it up, but it's just, yeah because what, it bugs I me. got in a lot of those discussions back in 2009 with what I was, you know, talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. I got in a lot of those discussions with some of my friends who weren't able, you know, to accept the changes back then, mm-hmm. and I was happy to stick up for my position. But this one is one is very difficult to like you could explain things like why this why does this enterprise look different why the uniform is different why does the ship appear larger like you could explain those things away if you want to like in a fan retcon kind of way yeah but i don't know how you explain this development unless you like released like uh uh an accompanying novel or something to, to really explain uh, the discrepancies here because um, what a lot of people don't forget, especially those who aren't that invested in Star Trek, is that this is supposed to be the same universe that the original Kirk and crew came from. Yeah. And things should have been the same up until the point where Nero, you know, caused what he caused in the first film and then that's where things start diverging yeah uh therefore this sort of should be the same con character um you know that went into whatever kind of cryo freeze and again um, don't get me wrong i'm not asking for ricardo montalban to come back of course but <laughs> still you got some splaining to do uh with why this character is so remarkably different and it's it's not they kind of just don't even touch on it as far as his heritage or anything like that Mm -hmm. they really don't touch on it in the film and so it's just left there i mean maybe would it have been a problem if they just left him as was it john harrison he's called um before the uh the revelation something like that yes um uh, but and you know i i I, because the rumor had been out there for ages that Mm -hmm. Khan was going to be in this movie and that Benedict Cumberbatch would be Khan. I never actually truly believed it until I was literally in the theater and it started to become apparent. Yeah. Which for me, oddly, was just barely five minutes before it was actually revealed. Because <laughs> usually I pick up on these things right away in a movie, but yeah. I actually wasn't really willing to believe it until about five minutes before the actual reveal. And it's still a bit strange to me. Like, mm. and I, and see, in the new film, they don't really, I don't think they mention like where he was supposed to be from. No. And so it's sort of like, so are we supposed to acknowledge that or are we not? And then, I don't know. I, I just, I, I don't know. Because like I said, everything else you can explain one way or another mm. uh, about the changes in this Star Trek universe. But this is the one that's like the biggest conundrum of all. 
I mean, and, that uh, aside, I found it incredibly entertaining. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, kind of one of the unofficial criteria I use to judge, especially summer movies, mm-hmm. um, not just this year, but any year. Okay. I'm one of those people, and I know other people aren't able to do this. I'm one of those people that when it's a certain type of spectacle movie or summer movie or popcorn movie, yeah. I am able to leave my brain at home if necessary, if you at least meet other demands. Yeah. And I'm able to do that. I can separate. But if it's going to be a summer movie, summer blockbuster movie, an action or sci-fi type movie mm-hmm. or fantasy, I want to see the money on screen. And I don't just mean special effects, but I mean whether it's location shooting or whether it's the caliber of the acting or whatever it, it is. I want spectacle. to see. Yes, it should be. And it should be like, ooh, like, oh, they really put out. And bar none, I, I want, I think, uh, of all the summer films I've seen so far, Star Trek was the one that was just like, yes. Mm. All the money, you see it. It's all there on the screen. But you have the, you know? the opening scene, don't you, where... Um... They're being chased by the the natives, which mm. kind of harkened back to Indiana Jones for me. Had that kind of feel to it, which is oh, no bad no thing. Question. No question at all. Um, yeah. But yeah, if you're, I agree. I think if you go to to watch a summer blockbuster, you kind of expect to be blown away by the experience. You want something that's. They may not necessarily always be the greatest stories or you know the greatest scripts or what have you, but you want to be able to walk out of that cinema afterwards thinking, wow, that was incredible. And I think it delivered on that. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah, I think it did more than any other movie. Where, Because it's probably just my problem and not everyone else's problem, but I can kind of see in films nowadays, even in the high, expensive, big-budget summer films, be, because of just modern technology and special effects being what they are now, mm-hmm. they try to cut corners wherever they can in a lot of movies. And I can just kind of tell because I just have one of those six minds that's always asking questions like, how did exactly did they shoot this? And mm-hmm. I'm always asking myself, are they on a set? Is this location? And, and as technology has advanced, I've noticed a lot more things are being brought into a studio and whatnot. Things that typically never would have been shot that way before, yeah. five, ten years ago. And I just see those things. And I understand if it's a television show, but... If, if this film costs upwards of 150 million dollars, I want some. I want some guy with a camera out on location, if yeah. possible. And I don't know. I just I see that in a lot of films uh, nowadays, and that kind of throws me off. Um, but but Into Darkness, they, they spent their money. It's pretty apparent. It's on screen, and I loved it for that. So where do you think it leaves the series now? Because obviously. J.J. Abrams has been snapped up to do the new Star Wars movie. Well, you know, it can go one of two ways. <laughs> uh, well, better or worse. But, I mean, yeah. it kind of reminds... I mean, not necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But it just depends on who they bring in next yeah. and or what other consultants or producers may be involved. Because um, it definitely could make it... Because, okay, I see two easy models to point at. One is... The existing Jurassic Park trilogy, yeah, where you obviously have the original creator for the first two, mm-hmm. and the third one, while it's not a terrible movie, yeah, it just loses all the things that brought you to the first two, yeah. 
I mean, it's very expertly. I don't know if how well you remember the third Jurassic Park. I didn't mind it actually. I thought it was okay. Technically, it's produced very well, mm. and actually, some of the special effects, well, many of them, exceed what was in the previous two films. Yeah. But by losing the Spielberg touch and auteurship, it still becomes more of a generic, bland type of tale yeah. compared to the first two, and you're not really connected to the characters, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> so there's that way things could go. And then the other model I'd point to would be if you just look at the first three Harry Potter films, yeah, where uh, the first two were very competently made. They're both very strict, strict to the original source material, mm-hmm. and they they did fine. They're both successful. And, and you worry, oh, the original uh, creator uh, director Chris Columbus is yeah. moving on to other things, and they bring in Alfonso Cuarón. Who, didn't do too shabby a job, did he, really? Well, in my opinion, if anyone knows how I feel about the Harry Potter series, uh-huh. I adore the third Harry Potter film. Um, while, while I l- like the first two, uh, I wasn't the biggest Harry Potter fan at that time, mm. you know, in, in Harry Potter time. I was more just like, oh, just seeing what it is, whatever. But with Azkaban that film really grabbed me as an adult viewer, as someone who didn't grow up reading these books as a child. Mm -hmm. The third film to me was like, Oh, now this, now here's a director who's really adding his touch and flavor and style. And, you know, it's not so different that it separates itself from the first two necessarily, but he definitely brings like a different type of passion and a different kind of view to the material. And I love, I love Azkaban for that. Um, and so you, you don't know if, if you happen to get the right person, mm-hmm. you could get something really interesting with the third Star Trek film. You, and I mean, as we all know, anyone who's watched the original Star Trek films, there's definitely a lot of different creators involved at different points in oh, the original yes. film series. And it's very noticeable. So, you know, assuming that the new franchise is going to continue onwards and not just with three, but even beyond that, mm-hmm. we're going to have to expect some ups and downs along the way. They but can't all it, be the wrath of Khan. Yeah, but it's definitely a, a good time for a good opportunity to bring someone else in to really maybe take things who knows where. Yeah, freshen it up a bit as well. Yeah, and and because I don't, I wouldn't think of the third Star Trek film as being potentially the last, I would expect they would still make more even if the third one oh, definitely, didn't do yeah. as well. Therefore, I, you know, it's like, it's okay. Uh, you know, if I don't happen to like the third film... Um, it's okay. I mean, it'll rise again, you know, as, as Star Trek seems to do. So, so you know, I hope it goes the way of Harry Potter rather than the way of Jurassic Park. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. So that was possibly your standout. Was there anything that came close to that, challenging it to, to impress you? Well, unfortunately, for the most part, and, you know, I saw most of all the genre action blockbusters of this year, uh, there was a big series of just different films that for me were like close to hitting that mark of yes, thank you. I've been satisfied by your product, Mm -hmm. but most of the films I saw this summer, just kind of barely missed the mark for one reason or another. Yeah. Um, I didn't really see any films this year that were just outright terrible, but there were just ones that were like, Oh, that was good. But it, Oh, it just could have been so much more. If you just like, if something could have been tweaked one way or the other, and that's like, 
the ugly middle ground that a lot of these films this year uh, fell into for me. One um, of the films that I was quite keen to go and see initially, and then I read a few kind of middling reviews for, so I've kind of held off until it comes out on Blu-ray, was Pacific Rim. Mm. So I don't know if that falls into that category or not. Per Pacific Rim was one I was definitely worried about going in, mm -hmm. uh, not knowing how it was going to end up for me. Yeah. But that turned out to be one of on my short list of it it worked it was it was good mm -hmm. it, it was a thumbs up experience it, it's one of the shinier moments uh for me this summer in movie watching um uh i don't know about you or any listeners background but i was always kind of into the whole mecha genre mm -hmm. be it with anime or whatever before i was one of those people who when, it, when the original Robot Jocks came out in the early 90s, uh, I read about it in Starlog magazine like three years prior to it coming out, and I was just completely stoked and ready for it. <laughs> of course, I didn't know upon arrival that it would basically be like a C-list, uh, a, a low-budget sci-fi excursion, but I was probably the only person who was checking their calendar for a year waiting for Robot Jocks <laughs> to premiere, which lasted in the in the theaters, at least in this country, for maybe a week and a half before it was pulled. So uh, that one out on Netflix, folks. <laughs> yeah, but that was the original attempt at yeah. big robot mecha type uh, live action film. Well, the thing that um, drew me to it was the fact that it's being directed by Guillermo del Toro. Absolutely, and that's something that I actually kept forgetting. Um, leading up to the film's release, I kept forgetting it was Guillermo del Toro, mm -hmm. who I obviously pretty much love all his previous work yeah. that I've seen. And uh, um, the thing that, I, that kept me in mind or kept my attention was I've definitely become a big fan of Idris Alba. Uh, yeah, I think he's over great. The last two or three years, because he wasn't even really on my radar mm -hmm. prior to two or three years ago. Um, it wasn't until I saw him in a few things just prior to Thor that I realized, who is this guy and why have I not known about him the for all this time? The first thing I saw him in, I think it must be early 2000s, was a, a TV show over here. It was didn't really take off. It was like a one-off series. Uh, it's called Ultraviolet. And it was directed mm -hmm. and written by Joe Ahern, who was quite involved in the first series of Doctor Who. And it was like a modern take on vampires. And it was really, really good. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that comes up on Netflix or what have you, but it definitely would be worth checking out. Interesting. See, I only started watching the American series, the HBO series, The Wire, uh -huh. but I only started watching it late after the show had already run its course. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, that was, I don't know, around 2009, 2010, when I was watching the old original series of The Wire, where he's a pretty prominent character. Uh-huh and is really good in that film, um, a film, series. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen The Wire, but I know it's like a police procedural type show, mm -hmm. but I don't like to call it that because, at least in this country, everyone thinks of shows over here, like CSI or NCIS or yeah. Law and Order, blah, 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 which are all terrible shows, by the way. <laughs> if you haven't seen any of them, please don't ever see any of them. I get the but, impression it's kind of like the West Wing of the police procedural. It's kind of it's got that um, bit of extra class to it. Uh, what you mean, the wire? Well, yeah. the way I the way I interpreted the wire when I started watching it um, was 
it reminded me of something that I equated to like a BBC drama, mm-hmm. a very like, let's say serious type BBC drama show, which you don't really get much serious drama like programming like that, at least in this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something pretty rare that actually you would only see maybe on something like HBO or Showtime in, in a TV series in this yeah. country or like AMC actually mm-hmm. now. But so it's a police procedural but it's more in that more serious drama tone, which is very rare, at least in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's a lot more common over there. Uh, if Netflix has been any indicator to me of BBC and, and ITV programming, yeah. uh, you guys are more familiar with serious type police dramas that are, mm. but that's not common here. And that's what the wire kind of fits into. And it just was and is in there. And of course, because I didn't know who he was, I never assumed that he wasn't American. Really? Uh, absolutely not. Especially because he plays in that series, uh, you know, kind of a sort of came from the hood type, mm-hmm. you know, black American, you know, Baltimore area and completely seems absolutely plausible in that role. And I could not have envisioned him as anything different uh, until Luther came around. And when I saw that, I was pretty, I was like, thought, Oh look, this show Luther. I guess he's gonna play this American got cop who's like transferred <laughs> to England or something. You know, that's what I was expecting. And then oh, you no. hear his voice, and you're like, "What?" Exactly. And it, w- one thing that was nice and refreshing, in a, in a, in a sense, yeah, in Pacific Rim was that, at least for, like a major, you know, summer type film, he gets to you know he gets to use his own natural voice mm-hmm. as opposed to doing his American type voice. And uh, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. And Pacific Rim was good times. And if you're a fan of anything that Guillermo del Toro has ever done, then you're probably going to like Pacific Rim, even if the big robot genre is not necessarily your field. But Um, one of the things he managed to do very successfully in the past was to merge um, quite impressive special effects, but with good character moments. Mm-hmm. which is, is pretty rare for that kind of film. Does that work in this film? or is Okay, it... there are character moments for sure, but know this, that, how can I say? There are, yes, they do bring in character elements, and the characters do, do live and breathe in their fictional world. Mm-hmm. But they strike me more as not the type of characters you're going to see being nominated for Oscars anytime soon. Right. They're more, to me, it's more like something you'd see out of some type of escapist, like like something out of a comic book, mm-hmm. if you will. These so characters, it's realistic within the, the context of the, the genre. Yes, because it's not really, for instance, uh, I'll just use an ex- as an example, like Avatar. Mm-hmm. Avatar, as surreal as the entire premise is, it is sort of grounded in real people or yeah. I guess more serious people, mm-hmm. even if there are fantastical things happening Yeah, where, where it's sort of believable that these could be real people just in this situation. Whereas Pacific Rim is almost, it's skewing a bit more towards a little bit more towards fantasy. Yeah. I'm not saying it's a fantasy. I'm not saying it's meant to be that way, but the characters are more like archetypes you know, like like this is the hero guy, yeah. Or this is 
strong-willed female character, but who maybe has some doubts inside. But mm-hmm. and here's this crazy uh, one thing that a lot of people noted uh, who saw the film was that uh, Burn Gorman of Torchwood fame and yeah. other things. He is weirdly doing his audition tape to be the 12th doctor um <laughs> in this film right because he he does play a weird sort of batty scientist and you sort of get a little bit of flavorings of matt smith's doctor but also other things and mm-hmm. he's sort of doing you know like a a tweed jacket and maybe some braces and um a bow tie yeah i think so yes <laughs> And yeah, it, it, but it's not bad though. It's not bad though. It really shows uh, how flexible he is. I mean, yeah. if anyone's seen him in other things besides Torchwood, you know he's a very, as most British actors are, mm-hmm. very, very flexible and adaptable. And he kind of shows it off. And it's actually kind of fun to see how he is. But but what I was saying was, he's yet another type of archetype slash almost yeah. stereotypical type character. But it's good fun. Mm-hmm. It's just you're not gonna sit here and really take all these characters that seriously um you know so this one nearly hit the mark but just didn't no no it kind of hit the mark but uh but know that i didn't set the bar too high Mm -hmm. you know basically i was like just please don't be a wreck please don't be a wreck please don't be a wreck (laughs) so were your expectations relatively low then going into this they were a bit tempered i would say Uh that i really wanted to like it and i didn't want it to go off the rails and it didn't go off the rails and if you just accept it for what it is i think it's great it's not genre redefining you know cinema no but you know it is guillermo del toro's you could tell it's sort of his love letter also not just to mecca's but his love letter to the the big man in a suit godzilla films of Mm. yesteryear which is not necessarily my area of expertise but He's really bringing that to the masses. I know that they're working on yet another new yeah, um, Godzilla film, and I have no idea how that's going to be. Mm-hmm. But but Guillermo del Toro definitely pulled something off here. And uh, there may be a Pacific Rim sequel. Mm-hmm. No one really knows for sure, but I, I'd be willing to see it. I'd be happy to see it. But uh, It, it, it would have been it interesting was... to see what he was going to do with The Hobbit, but we'll never know. Yeah, we'll never know. But no, but I would recommend seeing Pacific Rim. I, I think it just... You know, don't go in expecting Citizen Kane or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's just just good. It's just good fun, like entertainment. So, was there anything that was really atrociously bad that you would avoid, like the plague? Hmm. <laughs> there was. Uh, I didn't see anything atrociously bad, but there is a large grouping that, for me, I would say. Like, there's nothing that I saw that I wanted my money back for. Mm-hmm. But there were definitely things that Maybe I could have or, or I would tell people, yes, yeah, see it, but you can you can absolutely wait to mm. rent it. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, just off the top of my head, things like Oblivion with Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm even going to say Iron Man 3. Really? Uh for me, Wolverine, although I know many people who have seen Wolverine, the Wolverine, mm-hmm. and actually quite liked it. Um, so that one, you know, I guess that depends kind of who you are. Yeah. Uh, I would say rent it, but I know other people would disagree with that. Yeah. Uh, and 
I don't know. I can't even think what else I've seen. Uh, uh, World War Z. Uh, hmm. I mean, I think if you really were into that genre, because World War Z, okay, I would say, normally I would say, hey, you know, rent it. It'll, you'll work, it'll work fine that way. Yeah. But I have to admit, one thing that adds to that film's experience is simply seeing it on the large, on the big screen. Mm-hmm. You know, it definitely benefits from that. Yeah. So it, it makes it more of a... Um, Having seen the trailer, it you can see there's a huge scale to it, so I can see how that could work on a big screen. Yeah, because World War Z, also, there's not much to sink your teeth into as far as the movie's concerned, but it, 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 it does have, yeah, it does have more of that theme park ride type of sensation about it. So mm-hmm. if you were interested in that sort of thing, it is kind of the, the kind of thing you might want to see in the theater because it is, you know... The, the side the spectacle of it is sort of a character in of itself so obviously that would be lost at home so that you know so does but, it veer more towards zombie land or is it nearer to a a more serious straightforward type uh, kind of zombie movie not towards zombie land no. uh something more like not exactly but something more akin to let's say 28 days later okay mm-hmm. yeah something a bit like that or a bit like uh, the Will Smith movie, I Am Legend. Oh, yeah. Which but, I uh, quite enjoyed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was okay. I, <laughs> I didn't dislike it, but... Yeah. I, I Am Legend, it, to me, it, it was still in that... came out in that fuzzy area of time where we still hadn't fully worked out what we could and could not do mm. with CGI. So it was this weird line of some things can come off as amazingly convincing and other things come off as amazingly detailed animatronic cartoon characters, uh-huh. animated characters. I don't know. That Maybe that's just me, but yeah, it was that fuzzy era of CGI where some things didn't come out quite as well as we thought they did. Mm-hmm. But that's just I don't me. think it quite lived up to the book, but it was an enjoyable movie. Yeah, yeah, I thought kind it was. Turn okay. your brain off and enjoy. And like I said, most of these films this year, I mostly like. It's just they could have been tweaked one way or the other. But I just, I also do remember though, 2012 was a banner year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've said this many times. If you listen to Sci-Fi Parline, I, I think 2009 was a banner year in sci-fi genre films. And with so many films just hitting it out of the park. Yeah. And 2012 was also in that vein. So those are standout years to me of the last five years or so. So definitely 2013 wasn't terrible. Because as I recall, 2011 was pretty lightweight as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it was decent, but there was just too many things at once, too many things not quite hitting the mark exactly the way you want them to and then because there's so many them like different audiences of these films like cannibalizing each other Uh, i think the thing is with last year because of the the massive behemoth that was the avengers yes it was really only going to go one way wasn't it really you were going to end up with a a year that followed that that perhaps yeah going to be quite so good you had the Avengers a lot. The one-two punch of Avengers with the Dark Knight Rises. Mm, yeah, yeah. That really made 2012 in the superhero department. And this year, I mean, Iron Man 3 did enormously well, mm. box office-wise. 
but I think it was really riding on the coattails of Avengers. Yeah. I think there's a lot because, of goodwill left over from that movie. Yes, absolutely, because that's how I felt going in. But it, for me, it, it did not live up to it. Wasn't, it wasn't a terrible movie by any stretch. It's just Avengers just really set the bar so high it was almost unattainable. Yeah. And, and, and 3, Iron Man 3, for those who haven't seen it, they're trying to pull it back. Yeah. You know, trying to like, okay, let's reel it back in, you know. Mm-hmm. We can't have an event movie every year. So it's one of those movies to sort of tide you over and kind of like reset things and bring things back down to earth. So it's kind of like a poison chalice, really, isn't it, following the Avengers? Because whatever you do, it's never going to quite live up to it. Interesting. I, I like that. Ooh, I'm going to use that in the future. <laughs> yes, nice. Poison Chalice. Yeah, I, yeah, I kind of think so. Um, I mean, the I trailer know, for Thor, um, is it called The Dark World? I believe so, yes. Yeah, that looks kind of interesting. I've got to admit, it, the, the first movie, I actually fell asleep while I was watching it, so that's not the greatest recommendation. So hopefully this which one, one was? The original Thor movie. Oh. Well, what I liked about the original Thor movie is that I was one of those people who went into the first Thor mm-hmm. um, not really knowing anything about the character or his origins or anything. Mm-hmm. And it actually intrigued me a lot with the first Thor movie just because I was like, who is this guy? Oh, really? Wow. I had no idea this is what he was all about. So mm-hmm. it actually worked for me in that way. And the second Thor, it doesn't really have to deal with what Iron Man 3 had to deal with, which is that no. Iron Man largely exists on planet earth in the marvel universe but thor because as you know it's the dark world he kind of gets to detach himself mm-hmm. uh, in, into outer space so that, i think that kind of gives the movie a big advantage to uh exist on its own in the shadow of of uh, avengers i've heard they're already planning the third thor movie already so they must be pretty happy with how this one's turned out i look forward to it i, I obviously haven't seen the second yet but mm-hmm. like as i said i really enjoyed the first i thought it was really interesting and i I don't know. I kind of like this idea. Uh, you know, it's not earthbound, so it is. You know, when you think about it, if you think about it as a sword and sandal fantasy type movie, mm-hmm. there has not been much in that department. You know, in recent years. No, not for a long uh, time, really. I mean, maybe if you count like the historical type things with Three Hundred and Gladiator and things like yeah. that, but certainly not otherworldly. No. Um, so I, you know, uh, I'm game. You know, and uh, if anyone knows me, I cannot get enough of Marvel movies now. Apparently, so I'm just a shell, really, for <laughs> the whole company. So they could put anything out as long as it's got a Marvel logo at the front. You're, you're uh, yeah. That since Avengers came out, mm-hmm. I mean, I was already kind of like that before Avengers, but now more than ever, I, I cannot help it. Which is why. I had to watch the Wolverine, um, you know, whether I thought it was going to be good or not. Mm-hmm. It's almost mandatory now for me. So, <laughs> yeah, I can't do much about that. So is there anything coming up this year that you're holding out for and thinking that it might kind of turn the year around a bit and sort of uh, well, bring, it's the, mostly bring good, good films oh, back One up. thing we didn't mention that was also another mm-hmm. winner for me was Elysium, which came out not too long ago at the time of recording. Okay. Elysium I quite liked out. You know, the jury is mixed on that as well, depending on who you ask. Is that the one by the director of District 9? Absolutely. Yeah. Neil Blomkamp. Mm-hmm. And uh, his, really his second major film. 
And uh, I know what most people are saying, whether they like the film or not, is, you know, it's almost universally, it's agreed that not as good as District 9. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I think that's because District 9 was just so novel in so many ways. Yeah. I don't know, were you a fan of that movie? Yeah, I really liked it. Yeah. I was a bit late getting to it. I only saw it on DVD. I didn't see it at the cinema, but uh, I thought it was really good. Oh, I adore it. I mm. adore it so much. And Elysium is a good follow-up. It's a good follow-up. Even though, because I know a friend or two of mine mistakenly thought maybe it was a sequel to District 9. Okay. Now it's not a sequel. But that being said, if you wanted to, it wouldn't be that hard to extrapolate Elysium taking place in the same type of universe as District Nine. Uh, yeah, if you wanted to, yeah. you know, uh, you could. I could see that because it does have a very similar feel. It's a very similar world. I mean, there's no callbacks or anything like that. But I mean, but you could see how you know it, it kind of exists in the same type of universe. Yeah, and uh, um, it's not. It isn't. It isn't perhaps as allegorical as District 9. No. Uh, but it's still, I think, just a really, really well-executed film. And one of my biggest praises for it is that, I mean, he, the director already showed, he already flexed his, his skills with District 9, but again, he showed even more how he or whoever he collaborates with mm-hmm he really has a handle on making really detailed, complex special effects. CGI really looks so effortless. Um, that's one thing that really struck me is that so much of the stuff that obviously could not be real. Yeah. It just blends so effortlessly. That's going back to what you were saying before about that, that earlier period where yes. the effects weren't that great. And there are mega budget movies that don't, quite pull it off absolutely but they make it look so easy in elysium and it it, especially visually it has definitely a much wider scope than district Mm nine and it's it's almost showing off but I, i i love i love brilliant effects that don't call attention to themselves it's such a difficult thing to do but that's one thing. One of the things I appreciated the most about that film is that there's just effects everywhere that do not call attention to themselves and just and that's, blend that's in. That's the best kind of special effect. Yeah, it's, it's, it's keeping really you in the movie. You're not sitting there thinking, "Wow, that's a really good effect." You're just thinking, "Wow, that's incredible." Yeah, and that's one thing I really credit that film for. I mean, the story isn't necessarily the most amazing thing you know you've ever come across or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's just wow, you know it. They made it look good. It's fully realized. Uh, it, was, it was enjoyable. It was enjoyable. And I definitely look forward to um, whatever he comes out with next. But yeah, those are some of the high points. Uh-huh. And as far as the rest of the year is concerned, um, there's nothing really big that I'm anticipating left other than the second Hobbit film. Yeah. I don't know if people quite like the first one. Um, I'm certainly looking forward to that. Yeah. That's my only real big standout. There's a lot of question mark films. I mean, I want to see uh, At World's End, which is just coming out yeah. now. But then there's also other question marks, such as uh, Ender's Game. Mm-hmm. Um, so those things like that are on my radar. But but no, I'm not anticipating anything huge except for the Hobbit film. Yeah, I think the second Hobbit film is the, the one that I'm holding out for. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. Woo. Come 2014. Oh, we start the game all <laughs> over again. And, you know, in six months we can podcast about that. But, oh, goodness, there's so much on my plate for 2014. <laughs> but, but, but 13, 2013 is mostly over with, uh-huh. I would say, now at this point. So I've, I've spent the last hour or so grilling you for recommendations. And I'm going to ask you for more now. Because we usually get to the part in the show where we ask our guests to recommend something that they enjoy what, what would you like to recommend for the listeners well i can't remember exactly what i covered last time i was on your show mm-hmm. I, I know i covered a lot as far yeah. as recommendations go but um i guess i'm gonna take the easy way out and because it's just kind of come back now mm-hmm. uh we could go um if you haven't already uh, why haven't you been watching breaking bad uh, I know this is not a genre-specific mm-hmm. type show, but it's just a good, solid show. I think I'm the last person in the entire universe that hasn't seen Breaking Bad yet. No, and I have a feeling that maybe, I don't know if this came up last time we spoke, but one one of the things I really like about Breaking Bad mm-hmm. that sets it apart, because there's obviously plenty of good dramas out there. Yeah. Um, one thing I really like about it is that for being an American show or a show set in America, Yeah, it's something that's not in the typical four or five major metropolitan areas that we have in this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, first of all, it's not at all in a major metropolitan area. But secondly, it's just a part of America that, that those who are not from that particular region, even Americans themselves, yeah. you just really, really wouldn't be familiar with. Um, you know, taking place in and around New Mexico, by and large, that's just not a part of this country that really gets much light shed on it in any way. And you feel and that grounds it in reality more than if they well, shot it in I LA. Mean, it kind, or... I mean, the story itself could take place in nearly any suburban mm-hmm. slash urban area. It, it doesn't have to be in New Mexico proper but the fact that it is though i just think just just like adds just a little bit more flavor to it that just it's just something different it's not mm-hmm. la it's not new york it's not chicago it's not florida yeah. and it's something that just looks very very different and like i said other than substituting as alien planets for many films nowadays mm-hmm. uh it's nice to see new mexico actually being new mexico and just because it, it's just very very different and it's just a part of this country geographically that people really really often forget about because mm-hmm. um, it is relatively barren and desolate and to me it's kind of refreshing to like so other people can see yeah look you know there's actually more so much more in it in, in this country to see it just as just as a setting and i think that's kind of a great thing about it um because it while it is new mexico it's very easy to see that, that the stuff portrayed in it mm-hmm. Uh, uh, for the most part, it could be happening anywhere, and you know, I think a lot of people can kind of relate to that, um, even if you're not in a big city. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's just good fun. It's just good fun. It's just uh, I don't. It doesn't even need to be said. Just the brilliant storytelling going on there. I, I saw some tweet randomly the other day. Uh, I wish you could remember it more verbatim, but it said mm-hmm. something to the effect of someone was saying on Twitter. One of the things that makes Breaking Bad great as a series is that this is going to sound very simple, mm-hmm. but 
something that seems amazingly hard for many shows to grasp, even though it is so simple. But each episode is its own self-contained story, yet at the same time, each episode also propels the overall story at the same time. I know that sounds very simple and rudimentary, mm-hmm. but in practice, it seems to be a much more difficult beast to capture. But it really works in that way of just having an, you know, an individual story propel yeah. the overall story. I know if you've never seen the series and you hear me say <laughs> it, and you think, well, yeah, doesn't every show try it? Yeah, I understand. But this show really sort of knows what it's doing, you know, they had a vision and they they plotted it and it's not so complicated and clockwork like a Stephen Moffat show or Christopher Nolan film it's not that complicated but mm-hmm. still they lay out the groundwork the sh- the narrative has time to breathe and grow sort of organically you don't feel like you're on this set path of storytelling but yet there is that kind of design underlying mm-hmm. of, of the way the show kind of builds. Just kind of unfolds not to, not naturally. To, not to wax too poetic, but as a series, as ongoing, it kind of forms, you know, like a symphony. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't just hit you all at once. And it saves things. And some things are really drawn out. But that delayed gratification just makes the payoff that much more exciting i know i sound like i'm romanticizing too much but if you really watch this series and it doesn't that's the other thing some people watch the first series which only consists of six or seven episodes and they think oh i I felt this way too oh that was kind of good but not necessarily compelling yeah well just go a little bit further It, it really it's a slow burn as they say yeah i saw somebody tweeting the other day about um the viewing figures or appreciation index or something like that for it and it gradually gets higher and higher and higher and higher each series yeah and that's actually what you want in any ongoing series is you want people to be that more excited about series three and four than they were about series one and two because i don't know how it necessarily plays out in in england Mm -hmm. and elsewhere but what tends to happen with a lot of shows in america uh, especially dramas and such many of them often seem to hit right out of the gate with yeah. popularity with season one or two and then just struggle to maintain that as each yeah. year follows. Well, yeah, Breaking Bad puts flips the paradigm to the way it should be mm-hmm. with a gradual build and a, then a gradual decline. So, so yeah, I couldn't, I know everyone's watching it now. Jeez. From what I understand, UK Netflix gets it a day after it airs in America. We don't yeah. even get it like that. We don't even get that mm-hmm. over here, but uh, definitely seek it out. It's worthwhile, and just stick with it. And, you know, at least I, I tell people get at least midway season two, and then you'll kind of know how you feel about it at that time. Uh, that's yeah. definitely a good recommendation. I've been immersing myself in everything Capaldi for pretty obvious reasons. Oh, uh, of course, of yeah. course. I've been having a Capaldi-a-thon. Um, so yeah, we've been raiding the sort of DVD library and watching pretty much anything I can. Um, there's an old adaptation on the BBC of an Ian Banks novel called The Crow Road, which we've been watching, and that's very entertaining. Really nicely done, so he's in that. Um, also, I don't know if you're aware, he was in Prime Suspect 3? I don't even know what Prime Suspect is. Oh my goodness. 
uh, yeah, you should check that out. It's uh, Helen Mirren is the, the lead actor in it. And uh, it's a really good series of... Um, they were kind of like mini-series. I think they did seven or eight mm-hmm. series of them, sort of uh, crime dramas. And, uh, yeah, he plays a, quite an interesting role. He plays a, a pre-op transsexual drag queen. Interesting. I've seen the gifts. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's a really good, uh, really good show. So he's getting that. And also... Um, He's narrating, because obviously he used to be in a punk band years and years ago. He narrates um, a little series that the BBC have done about the, the history of British punk. So that's, that was quite an interesting one to, to have a listen to as well. So yeah, that's, that's what I've been doing. Nerding out all about Peter Capaldi. Definitely. I need to get on that wagon as well, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I think I've only seen him in one thing outside of Who-related material. Uh-huh. So. I'm guessing that's going to be the thick of it. Uh, the film... Oh, of course, World War Z. He was no, no, World no, War no, Z no. Well, I, I saw him in World War Z, but I mean... Mm. Oh, In the Loop. Yes, In the Loop. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah, I've seen where that. I saw That's him. very good. Yeah, I saw In the Loop mm. and World War Z, but his role is minimal in World War Z. Mm. But In the Loop, I definitely saw him in that. And yeah. Yeah, that was good times. Mm. I really like that film. But, uh, yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming back on the show, Eric. Absolutely. Anytime. Closing out the show today, this is Mark. And this is Eric. Until next time. Even if your doctor isn't a transsexual drag queen. (laughs) Don't panic.